Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show Q&A, where Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja answer questions about the playoff and its contenders from subscribers. Back again. Good to be with you. Stuff happening in college football. That's why we have a podcast. Actually, we we started the playoff podcast like in the middle of the summer, Shahan, because we kind of thought, oh, oh, we'll get a head start when there's nothing going on. And it's like, there's so much going on. But it does give us something to back to talk about on our press conference show. The big pod this week. Make sure you catch that next. Georgia. Best defenses. But for this... On the on the press conference show, Shaham, we always take the questions from the people. As long as you subscribe, and what do you have to do to subscribe? You have to spend a dollar. That is not too much to ask. You send a text to eight one seven four four two six seven eight nine. Our subscribers ticking up. You get to vote on should a should a team join our discussion. You get to vote on that. You get to ask questions for this version of the pod, this press conference pod. And then I'm going to start sending out just like other surveys. So you get a handle on like what other people, other fans in college football are thinking about. So it's kind of a fun little thing. Plus we'll offer offer, uh, a couple little insights, little pieces of analysis during the week, texted right to your phone. Why not? But why not talk about Quinn Ewers? This is the five-star quarterback from the class of 22 who was reclassified to the class of 21. He is joining the Ohio State quarterback competition as soon as he gets to Columbus, which should be, I don't know, the next week or so. Ohio State's going to have a new starting quarterback, Shahan, no matter who they play. Nobody on that roster has started a college football game. Nobody on that roster has thrown a pass in college football. So what does it mean when you have a high school guy who's going to come and throw himself into that mix as an early college freshman? We go to our friend Lonnie, who says, how would the early enrollment of Quinn Ewers impact Ohio State's chances of making the 2021 playoff? And again, we always appreciate the people who take the big issue and make it playoff focused. And then our guy, Sonny, says he's a Rutgers fan who now follows Ohio State. Now that Quinn Ewers has joined the Ohio State team, do you think he will be the starting quarterback of Ohio State by game six this season? And if he is... Will Ohio State win the national championship this year? So, Shaham, we got to figure out, is he going to play? And if he does, how good is he going to be? And how good are the Buckeyes going to be? What do you think? Most of the time when you add a quarterback this late in the cycle, it doesn't even matter if it's a high school kid, even if it's a college transfer or something like that. They're just real behind the eight ball. It's really, really hard to come in right away, learn a system, adjust to a culture, and win a starting quarterback job. And 
for that reason, I don't know 100% that Quinn Ewers is going to be that guy who comes in and does that. I mean, these are all a bunch of five-star quarterbacks, a bunch of high four-star quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, that's a factor. But the one thing hey, that I'll say... there's but. the but. I was hoping there was a but coming. <laughs> so, obviously, I live in Texas. Uh, Quinn Ewers has been a topic of conversation now for many years at this point. He actually, funnily enough, goes to uh, a high school that was a rival high school of mine that was much better at football than mine. Uh, but the thing that I'll say about Quinn Ewers is I saw him play in the state championship game live against Cade Klubnik, who's now a five-star, now rated the number one quarterback by a lot of places, and it was night and day. I No disrespect to, to Kate Klubnik, a very good football player. Quinn Ewers looked like an NFL quarterback, right? Like, the way that he throws it, the way that his body moves, his precision. I mean, it was like the second or third pass of the game that he just put something like... It just was the perfect amount of touch where he just dropped it right into the hands of a receiver over defense and back. You you don't see that in high school football. That does not happen. This is a one-of-one quarterback uh, recruit. This is like, I mean, the comparison that I think you have to make right, is Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago coming in at Clemson and Kelly Bryant having the starting job to start the year, but basically Trevor Lawrence was too good to keep off the field. I could see something like that happening. And the biggest thing that I'd say from an Ohio State perspective, if he were to come in and eventually win the job, not necessarily in week one, but eventually win the job, is I do think that he has a higher ceiling than any of the other guys in this quarterback room. Now, again, he has to come in, learn a new system, adjust to a new offense, uh, and also win over a team of guys who have been here, who expected to be here, who went through camp together. That that part can be very difficult. But from a pure talent perspective, Quinn Ewers, both in the short term and obviously in the long term, can be a real difference maker for Ohio State. So there's a couple things at play here. Uh, you automatically go to, everybody does, to the Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence comparison. You go to the Jalen Hurts uh, to a Tonga Vailoa comparison, right? Where these young guys had incumbent starters and kind of eventually just worked their way in, whether it was like game five of the regular season or halftime of the national championship game, right? But one of the issues there is those guys were incumbents. Those guys had led their team to great heights the year before. Ohio State doesn't have that. So it's not only about Quinn Ewers, it's about the other guys. If he had come in next year as scheduled, he would have come in trying to take the job from an incumbent. I almost think that would be messier to some degree. Now, listen, he's not going to come in and win the starting job to play Thursday night at Minnesota in this short amount of time. But for him to be the, the guy by midseason, I just think is really, really, really possible because of who's in front of him, which is no offense to those guys. They just haven't done it either. So the gap is smaller. And people say, well, it took Trevor Lawrence that long and he had spring whenever. Do you really think that Trevor Lawrence couldn't have started the opener for Clemson? They were trying to be nice to the guy who led them to the number one seed in the playoff the year before? That's not at play here. And then the other thing is you got to room, you got to leave room for special, which is why I think what you said matters so much, Shahan. Yeah, they have a lot of great quarterbacks. Kyle McCord's a five star. CJ Stroud's a borderline five star. You got he's a six star, right? They don't have a six <laughs> star, but but he is different, and you have to leave room for that. And I am expecting that both the Quinn Ewers side of things and the Ohio State side of things will downplay, downplay, downplay because they want to lower expectations. And they'll downplay it right until the moment he takes the field as a starting quarterback, like in week seven, right? That's where that's where I am on this because the clock has started. 
Ryan Day is only going to get three seasons with this guy. It was going to be 22, 23, 24. Now it's going to be 21, 22, 23. Why would you punt a whole year? Like, I don't know why. And I do think, I do think he is a get you over the top kind of guy that I think any of the Ohio State quarterbacks could get them through the Big Ten, probably undefeated, and get them into the playoff. Who beats Bama? Who beats Georgia? Who outduels Spencer Rattler? I think a late season Quinn Ewers, who has spent the whole year learning, has the best chance to do that. So I'm just going to think that is what's going to happen until somebody tells me, you know what? The kid's just like trying to figure out like where his classes are. <laughs> He's just reading his playbook. He's not even throwing passes in practice, right? If I hear that, okay. As long as he's practicing, I'm assuming he's going to do the stuff that has wowed people so far, Shahan. And if he's wowing people, man, I'm not sure you can do anything to keep him off the field this year. And one last thing on this, and we'll move on. Uh, you, as a quarterback, stepping into this situation with the wide receivers that Ohio State has, it makes this a whole lot more palatable. It makes this more manageable that you're going to get separation. You're not going to have to throw into the tightest windows of all time, right? This is a situation where you can step in, have your receivers win some battles, and, and just get them the ball. And I think that, like you mentioned, it just raises the ceiling of this team. Let's move on. This is from Troy Sandlin. On average, how many teams in the new SEC, the 16-team SEC, will play in a 12-team playoff per year? Yeah, I, I think it might be in a in a in a 16-team SEC with Oklahoma and Texas. Maybe I don't even need to say Texas. With Oklahoma. <laughs> I think you're looking at probably four every year and maybe five. And if you look at last year's rankings, just as a little tiny bit of a guide, Alabama finished one in the last rankings before the playoff. Texas A&M was five, Oklahoma six, Florida seven, and Georgia was nine. So that's five teams, right? Alabama one. I do a lot of counting on podcasts. I'm not sure that that's good <laughs> podcasting for me to count out loud. I also count on my fingers a lot. Alabama one. Texas A&M 2, Oklahoma 3, Florida 4, Georgia 5. <laughs> like, that sounds about right to me, Shahan. And I think a world, at the very least, where you take the win. Obviously, the winner gets it automatically. And, like, the loser of the SEC championship game is probably going to be pretty good. And then I think you're going to have a team in each division that has one loss, maybe two losses, maybe played a good game with the team that made the conference championship. And they're going to be at the top of the list of who gets in next. I think it actually might be closer to five than four. So I think five will be my answer if and when we get to a 12-team playoff under this setup. Yeah, so you're talking six to start out conference champions. One will always be the SEC champion, of course. And then, yeah, you start looking around, especially with Oklahoma and, you know, we can mention Texas being in this group. Like Oklahoma is going to be a team that's going to be there every year. LSU is going to be a team that's going to be there every year. Texas A&M is going to be a team that's going to be there every year. Georgia is going to be a team that's there every year. So that's five right there if you include Alabama as that top team. I, I didn't even mention Florida, right? Florida is going to be in that group every year, right? So there's six plus teams that will every year expect to be in the college football playoff. I think you're right. I, I think it's going to be probably four at least every year. And even then, I, I mean... I, certainly five is possible. Certainly six is possible. I mean, I, I think that 
this is a new reality for college football. Again, I, I compared it last week. Somebody said it was an arms race to me that the arms race is over, right? The SEC won. So I do think that the committee is going to look real closely at that. Um, and yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how they handle it. I will say I do think the committee will change how it votes hmm. based on the new structure because we've seen that before. So we're talking about, as you said, if they're taking six champs and there's six at-large spots, it's like, are you say, are you guys saying that the SEC is going to take three or four of the six at-large spots every year? And like I'm saying, yes. Yes. Because I do <laughs> think the committee, I think when you're talking about champions, I think when you're talking about only four spots, you are aware of spreading it out, right? And you're less likely to say, well, let's give three spots to the SEC because we think three of the four best teams are there because it's just going to make everybody mad and you're not sure about it and championships matter. Once you get into the non-champs, I think the people in that room who are like, I know good football are going to say, why do we care what conference they're in? They're all non-champs. Take the best teams. And if you have a, a worse record because you played better competition, we still think you're a better team. I think they will vote differently and be more open to feeding one beast of a conference if that's where the talent is, where right now it is in everyone's best interests, right, to not have the playoff be three SEC teams. I just think the structure affects how you think, and I think that will lead them to being open to a whole bunch of SEC teams in that, in that world. Yeah, which I do think is good for college football that we kind of set that baseline that championships matter and then kind of evaluate non-conference champions in a completely different way. I, I think that's good that we don't kind of hold those two things by each other now. Our guy Jorn, who always has good questions, Gene Smith, Ohio State Athletic Director, was quoted in a Pete Thamel article from Yahoo Sports saying the pause button should be hit on college football playoff expansion. What are your thoughts on this, Shahan? Well, look, I think that we've seen now the uh, the 70 chess that Greg Sankey was playing because now all of a sudden that really opened the door for conference expansion. It opened the door where Oklahoma still felt like they could be a playoff team every single year, even if they lose their easier path through the Big 12. And that's a huge ramification for the future of college football. And I'd understand why Gene Smith of the Big 10, right? Why he would be hesitant to want to expand that and want to kind of cater to what uh, to what the SEC is potentially going to benefit from. But at the same time, I do think long term, it is still so much better for college football. And there's just too many people who would benefit from this system. Obviously, the SEC would benefit from the system because they benefit from any system because they're the SEC. But the flip side is, if you are the Pac-12, being able to almost guarantee getting a, a champion in every year, you're not going to vote against that. If you are whatever this Big 12 thing works itself out, out as, right? Being able to put in a playoff team is going to matter a lot. The American, being able to put in a playoff team is going to matter a lot. And so there are just too many people with incentives to make it happen, even if it, I mean, look, there are going to be conferences that it's going to hurt their long-term national championship hopes. But I still think that long-term, it's just too good for too many people. And I think that even, even for the Big 10, it'll be good to get Penn State in, to get Wisconsin in, to get Michigan in. So I don't anticipate that long-term that this becomes an issue. Maybe, maybe it slows down the process a little bit as everybody just kind of sits back and stews for a minute. But long-term, I still believe that we're going to get to 12 because it's just good for too many people. 
I think it is good for everybody, but it's the most goodiest for the SEC. So <laughs> right. people would have to vote against their own self-interest because at, to, to rein in the SEC's extreme self-interest because it is not good. If Oklahoma's like in the SEC for 10 more years with a four-team playoff, and they're like, what are we doing? Like, obviously, as you said, Greg, Greg Sankey tied all this together because it is tied together for the SEC. I think this is the chance. I don't know if it's the last chance. I think it's the best chance for everybody in college football that's not the SEC to prevent the SEC and ESPN from taking everything over. So if you put the brakes on it and say, you know what? Yeah, maybe we're good with four and we're going to take conference champs. And hey, TCU and Baylor and Kansas State, good luck winning a their, your conference. Maybe you'll get in ahead of this second place SEC team. I think they have to threaten to do it. This is a public Maybe threat. That threat's a good word. I was going to back off threat. It's a threat. Gene Smith is putting this out into the world because he wants to circle the wagons and get everybody. Let's just not. The world has changed. So that's just not a go with the plan we had before. Let's step back. And I do think to bring the SEC to the table. I do think, Shahan, this is a whole other podcast. This might be the best way to get the SEC to the table for people to try to think about what's best for college football as a whole and not just best what's what's best for the SEC. Nobody else is going to do that. There's no commissioner. The NCAA is nothing. Nobody else is going to do that. This is the opportunity. And I think they might use the threat of putting the brakes off on playoff expansion to do that. Moving on to the next question from Scott Bear. I actually love this question. What is a team in the national conversation that you, A, feel like you have a much better understanding of than the other national college football commenters, and B, feel like you really don't have as much of a feel for as you might like? So Scott mentions uh, my previous knowledge of Wisconsin. And on my and my other podcast, a couple years ago when Wisconsin was a popular playoff pick for for everybody and then went and I think lost to BYU or had like like had three or four losses and just was not it at all. I then went out and on our podcast I made national people who had picked Wisconsin to make the playoff, I made them come on our podcast and apologize. For what because what were you thinking? <laughs> so I feel like I have a feel for what Wisconsin is and isn't and what they are is a great regular season team who just is not going to get over the top with the kind of quarterback play they had before, right? Jim Leonard, everybody loves him as a defensive coordinator. You know, we've seen what Ohio, it's usually Ohio State. I mean, it's always Ohio State. What Ohio State has done to them on big stages, on a fast track. Graham Mertz is maybe the guy that changes that. That You've got to change your type of quarterback because their style of play is a great, win the Big Ten West style of play, but it's not going to do anything. It's not going to be a real national title contender. Maybe Merch changes that, but I do feel like I've had I've had that handle on Wisconsin when other people have been tricked by them. And I will say across the board, no handle this year and in general. Everybody in the SEC that's not Alabama, I think is very hard for everybody not in the SEC to evaluate. Because like you think Georgia and LSU and Texas A&M and Auburn and Florida, you think they're good? Probably, you think? But you're not exactly sure. Do they how much do they absorb just being in the same conference as Bama? They obviously have the recruiting talent, but that's hard, Shahan. I don't. I don't. I th and I think a lot of times, again, it's the SEC. Some people see it as bias, whatever. That every SEC, if you lose in the SEC, it's a it's a testament to the strength of the conference. And if other teams lose, it's a testament to the strength, the lack of strength at the top of a conference. I, I'm a 12 team playoff will help me 
with that. I'm almost curious to see a lot of those teams on the national stage to know for sure, because year to year, I think it's hard. How about you? So I think that certainly the answer uh, for me is a little obvious. It's Texas. I feel like I have a handle on Texas. I feel like everybody nationally is like, well, look at how well they recruited. Look at how well things went. Oh, my gosh. Tom Herman's going to swing things around. Oh, now they got the national championship offensive coordinator. And once the indicators are there that things are changing at Texas, I will tell you. I will let you know. But every year it's, oh, well, you know, but look at well how well they recruited. This has been a theme for multiple years. If you don't develop that talent, it doesn't mean anything. And now they're heading to the SEC where the path is going to be harder. I feel like this is just a constant theme in my life is people saying, well, Texas, I mean, look at this talent that they bring back. They bring back talent every year. And I feel like not enough people look at the factors around it to, to kind of evaluate it. And the flip side that I'll say, the team that I feel like I don't always have the best handle on, I'll just say Penn State. I think that Penn State, same sort of deal. They recruit at a very high level, but it almost feels like you hear these great players come through the program and you're almost just like, did anything change? Did anything, like, what's the difference between this team and this team? Now, last year being an exception, last year obviously it was a disaster for a lot of reasons, but okay, you know, you went from Trace McSorley to whoever else and you have Saquon Bar. Like, what's different? Is, is something getting better? Is something getting worse? I feel like I don't have as good a handle because they kind of just, they're kind of right on that periphery of the national conversation without necessarily being in it. And And my advice for people who have trouble with that is, Anybody in the Big Ten, until they get a quarterback, until they get a top-shelf quarterback, is it's hard for anybody else in the Big Ten to be a national title contender, and that's what's held Penn State back so far. Big picture question from Daniel. Question on realignment. What will be the final number of power conferences in 2025 when the dust is settled, Shahan? I think the safe answer is four. Um the Big 12 does not look to be in the greatest position right now. I do think that it's looking more and more that they're going to try and expand and try to kind of stay as that fifth conference. And especially if this playoff expansion happens, you will still make the playoff every single year. But when you look at sort of the power conferences, and part of this is going to be how we define... Part of this is going to be how we define this too, right? (laughs) Because right now we define power conferences, you know, there is that autonomy sort of level, but then... Also, just by revenue, I don't think that this new Big 12 is going to be a $35 million revenue team, right? So it kind of is going to depend on how we define that. So I think the safe answer is four. I could still see the Big 12 scattering. I could still see the Big 12 uh, becoming just a group of five conference, right? But, uh, But I think that the safe answer right now would be four. And at the same time, could see it become two. You could see it become the SEC and the Big Ten. You could see it become one. But... I think the safe answer right now, a couple years out, especially with the ACC still having a long TV deal, I, I think it's still four. I think that it's possible that adjective, that the word power, I think we may not define them like that by 2025. That the answer will be like, well, there's no power conferences because there's no such thing as power conferences anymore. Because mm. in a world where if you go to 12, if you get to a 12-team playoff and just like the six highest ranked conference champs are in, And it's like, well, like the the door is open for everybody. And I think that perception, like, of course, the SEC is going to be the SEC. But like in a world where, you know, if if the rest of the ACC doesn't catch up to Clemson, if the rest of the Big Ten doesn't catch up to Ohio State, say the American and the Big 12 get smushed together in some way or some other conference sort of arises, like, 
I think we'll just spend much less time grouping things that way. And to your overall point, if this person had said instead of 2025, said 2030 or 2035, I think we may up in a in a world where when we talk about conferences, we don't, there are no football conferences. There are tiers. There are like two splits in the country or something, but that football doesn't look like what it is now. But I do believe the way we we talk about things, Shahan, may be very different. And as we try to assess like who's good, because as you said, power conference means a lot of it is money related, right? But also it just, it, it implies a level of talent and a level of um, competence or whatever that like, oh, if you're a power five team, like you're automatically better than a group of five team. And I think that will become much more muddy maybe in the next four years. And I think you look at a conference like the ACC, like you mentioned, you take Clemson out of that conference, how different does it really look than the American, right? Like, it's it's better, but not like a lot better. It's mostly just that they make more money. And in the Pac-12 over the last several years, they've been much closer to the American than they have been to... Exactly. I mean, that's... So So then what are we doing? What are these definitions that we are locked onto? Why are we locked onto them when actually all it is is that Clemson's in a conference right. and, and they're not in another conference? Right. I think that the SEC certainly is going to be whatever our definition of power is, they certainly are going to be it long term. That's never going to change. And I think the Big Ten has enough teams. But but I mean, I think that we've talked about a little before Ohio State starting to leave the field a little bit. Right. And, and so, you know, I don't know the way that like you mentioned, the way that we define this long term, I think is going to change a whole lot. All right, we have another question that sort of leans into that same kind of topic, but we'll do it next on the College Football Playoff Show with Shahan and Doug. Doug Maurice, Shahan J. Haraja. Again, if you want to get in on asking questions for this version of the show, we do two episodes a week. 817-442-6789. Shahan, what you got next? This one is from Noah in Columbus. So with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, would it be better for college football if the Big 12 would leave the Power 5 and there would be only four power conferences instead of the Power 5? So it's only better, I think, in in terms of like fitting the playoff, right? I mean, one of the best things about the 12-team playoff is you're no longer trying to fit five conferences into four spots, which has just made no sense the entire time. So it's one of those things that's like, the reason we might get to four conferences is because the playoff everyone thought was going to expand. But if we get to four conferences, maybe we don't need to expand the playoff, right? So I don't think it's better in any other way, right? I don't think that there is, it's just your playoff needs to match your conferences. So, you know, honestly, if they had gone to a playoff previously, that was like a five-team playoff where all the conference champs got in and the number one seed had a bye, or whatever, right? Like just whatever it was you did, like you figured something out or you did a 16 playoff and you had one at wild card or whatever, right? So Notre Dame would have a shot. That's all that it is, right? Oh, you can have seven conferences. You, I mean, it probably would be better to have smaller conferences. I don't know why we need 20 team conferences because at some point you're not a conference anymore, but only as it fits the playoff. Otherwise, it's, there's not like there's a perfect number of conferences. I totally agree with that. Uh, you just want the playoff to match the conferences that you've got. And so in a lot of ways, I looked at, you know, the the way that we went to the playoff and it was a frustration to me that you have five power five conferences and that you can win your conference, that you can do the thing that we've pointed to for 
eternity it's in, in the history of college football and not have a chance to play for a national championship because of honestly subjective metrics right and so uh and and to me that's one of the nice things about this expansion is okay well at least you sort of standardize it if you win your conference you do deserve a shot and so uh i think that better is an interesting word uh i i don't know whether it matters to me all that much uh whether we have four or five or six the biggest thing for me is i, I think that the more teams that have a feasible path to the playoff not necessarily a national title but to the playoff i think that's better for the sport i think it's better for the engagement of the sport i certainly think it's better for this podcast um you know, so I don't necessarily know that consolidating into four is a whole lot better for anybody else, but uh, I don't know that five was a perfect number either, especially in the situation that we're in right now. I think in the end, I'm okay with like subjective entrance to the postseason, but I think it should be coupled with some objective entrance to the postseason that like all the champs get in and then blankety blank blank, right? The idea that you you had no guarantee. There wasn't anything you could do really to absolutely guarantee getting in the playoff was a little weird because you could go undefeated and win your conference championship game and it'd be like, well, no, you know, there were all these other teams still have a better resume than you. I just think in the end, we're past that, right? We're past that. And that's what they've got to fix. From Noah and Columbus. Last year, we saw a gap with Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State being on a tier much above the rest with Notre Dame or Texas A&M thrown in the mix as well. Since all those teams are losing all of their main playmakers, could we potentially see that gap, that gap be closer and become on a tier with the rest of college football? So that idea, I, I love tiers. I love gaps. I love the gap. Not as much Old Navy. Now I've outgrown the gap. I'm more of a Coles guy. I'm a plaid shirt. I, I actually guy. did work at the gap, by the way. When I was in, your, uh, in college, so how's your folding? You got a tight fold? <laughs> I got a good fold. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely helped me out with the household. <laughs> do they teach you how to fold, or do they just sort of expect you how to fold when you get hired? They they definitely teach you how they want to do it because the big thing too, right, is that it's all about standardization more than it is yes. about folding well right so like jeans was a big one they specifically had a way to fold up jeans so that it didn't have like the little bit on the edge like no they they were very helpful and uh, and they did definitely teach you how to do it <laughs> do you still gap fold your clothes in your house today if i came and looked in your drawers we'll do that we'll do like a cribs edition of shahan's <laughs> house and if i just went around and looked like do you have tight gap folds just filling your closet right now I'm more of a hangers guy. I'm I'm more of a hangers guy generally. Uh, I fill my jeans gap style still. I'll say, but then I'm mostly a I'm mostly hangers. Other than that, it's just it's just easier. It doesn't crumple up as much. So, uh, but we are we are in the market for a new dresser. So maybe that'll maybe that'll change things. I'm more of a like clothes in a ball in the corner of the of the room <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, I don't know if they teach that at the Gap. All right. Anyways, the Gap closing and i guess i think we could talk about like this year like is the gap mm -hmm. closer this year in your mind sean so we're gonna get into this i think on the georgia podcast that we're gonna do right after this and if you are georgia texas a&m or oklahoma this has to be your year because all three of the, the those other teams the the three teams that have won national championships in the playoff era all of those teams are replacing quarterbacks. All those teams, I, I, several of them are replacing coaches. Several of them are replacing key playmakers on both sides of the ball. Like this is a rebuilding year in a year where nobody's going through a rebuilding year. And certainly 
it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State. They're rebuilding means oh, they might go eleven and one, right? But but this has to be the year in a lot of ways because those other teams that I mentioned, they bring back a whole lot of production. Uh, you know, several of them bring back quarterbacks like Oklahoma, Georgia. You know, really sort of figured out something at the end of the year. I do think that this is going to at least for this one year. I don't want to say it's a long term trend, but for this one year, I do think that the top of the sport is probably going to come back to the field just a little bit because of it. And so, yeah, if you're one of those other teams, I think you have to take advantage of that because Alabama is vulnerable in a way that they are not going to be probably for five years after this with the way that they've recruited. And, uh, you know, Ohio State, you might be playing against a freshman quarterback who next year might be the best quarterback that we've ever seen, right? Like, you have to take these chances, I think. And, uh, and I think the 2021 season is the time to do it. I do think it's pretty clear that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, I think Alabama and Clemson are going to both have to lean on their defenses with what they lost with their quarterbacks and Alabama, the rest of their offense. Ohio State still has some major questions on its defense and a big question at quarterback, although great offense otherwise. They're coming back. The thing that I'm curious about for this year and long-term is, are the other teams also moving forward? So if Oklahoma is better defensively this year, and going forward, are they actually also stepping up to that level? If Georgia gets its quarterback situation figured out now and long-term, is Georgia stepping up to that level? If Jimbo is ready to pull it all together at Texas A&M, are they also ready to step up to that level so that it's not a one-year thing, that it's not just, hey, the top three are a little down. It's also that four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Notre Dame, Washington, Oregon, anybody else that wants to get in here, are you also rising up? Because again, that would be great. That would be great. Everybody wants more parity, more opportunity in college football. But no matter what conference you're in, at the bottom line is so far, like people have not been able to hang with Alabama and Clemson and to a lesser degree, Ohio State. And I don't know what like conference real, how conference realignment changes that. The next tier just has to get better. And so I'm curious to see if that happens this year. Georgia is coming on the main pod. We're finishing up this episode with two Georgia questions, but we're going to take one last quick break and do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. All right, Shahan, what you got for me? I'm going to drill the number into people's heads. At some point, I would like the people hosting this podcast to have the number stuck in their head. They'd be like, what is that? Is that my aunt's phone number? Is that the pediatrician? Why do I know 817-442-6789? Is it who I call for carpet cleaning? It's like, no, 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 no. That's how you get the texts. Dollar a month. Free trial to test it out, then a dollar a month. 817-442-6789. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Stuck in your head. All right, Shahan, Georgia question. This is from Keith in Ann Arbor. Since the 2017 season, it seems like Georgia's supposed to have their year. Based on their recruiting, they probably should have won it all the last couple of years, and yet last year went 8-2 and two and barely beat Cincinnati. When is the national media going to recognize that it takes more than recruiting and don't they seem to and that they don't seem to have the other factors covered? And until then, until they fix that, shouldn't they be ranked lower by everyone? So I will say, Shahan, I have used a shorthand a lot for the top tier in college football. And my shorthand has been Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma and Georgia. And then after a while, I was like, why do I put Georgia in there? And when we started this podcast and we said, we're going to assume there are four teams who are always in the mix. We cut Georgia off because Georgia's only made the playoff once. 
Those other four teams have made the playoff. Clemson and Bama have made it six times. Ohio State and Oklahoma have made it four times. I'm not exactly sure why I did that. So I am guilty of what is being mentioned here. I've done it, but I have stopped doing it. And I was doing it, I think, based on recruiting rankings and based on them being the best team in the other SEC division. But I have stopped that. So as to me, as long as you're not doing that, which I was as guilty of as anyone, then I think they're right there, right? They're, they're there with anybody else, but they do not belong in that top mix. And I guess my answer to my question is, I don't know, but I did it. Which again is, I'm not <laughs> sure that's good podcasting or a way to go through life. I don't know why, but I am guilty of it. Were you also guilty of it or was it just me? I have not been guilty of it. And here's the reason why. Okay, I, I think that a lot of people nationally and, uh, you know, you've talked about before, right? Since starting this podcast, you've engaged much more deeply with national college football than you did before. When you don't necessarily as much, you default to recruiting rankings. You default to, well, in, in Georgia, right? Georgia is not just recruiting well. Georgia is one of the death stars, right? They are recruiting on the level of Alabama, you know, Clemson at times and Ohio State, right? Like they are a group unto themselves. At the same time, Georgia has not won a national title. They've won one ever. They haven't won one since 1980. 2018, I think, it, or 2017, rather, you know, that season uh, with Kirby Smart, they make it to the national championship game. That season, and if they win that game, if Tua doesn't throw to the corner of the end zone, maybe that changes the narrative on Georgia. And maybe it should change the narrative on Georgia. But right now, it is hard to argue them as anything other than a really nice backup to Alabama in the SEC. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not George's fault that you happen to play across from the greatest coach in the history of college football and that you'll probably never beat him. And also that if you lose in the SEC title game to Alabama year after year, which you probably will do because that's that's reasonable, that uh, you won't make the playoff, right? Like, that's just part of the deal. At the same time, Georgia, like Texas in some ways, although on a much higher level, Georgia's very much in prove-it mode to me. You have to, to me, you have to do it before I just assume that, oh, those great recruits are going to take you over the top. And to this point, they have not done it. Again, this, this year's going to be very important to them. Uh, but to this point, they don't deserve the credibility just because they recruit at the top four level. No, I think that's right. It's kind of a prove it year. All the stuff we've been talking about a lot. There's an opportunity here. And again, we're going to get into Georgia on the main pod, but I think a lot of that is right. And this is also related to it. From David. Is Kirby Smart on the hot seat with more than a loss to Clemson? So we all know Georgia Clemson opened the season against each other. Georgia's path after that is pretty wide open up until an SEC championship game. The idea that you would start the season with Clemson and end it with Alabama while trying to make the playoff is kind of a daunting thing. Hot seat, though. Hot seat, Shahan. That specific idea, what do you think of it? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's my short answer. Again, for all of what I just said... Kirby Smart has elevated this program to where not making the playoff and not being a national champion is a disappointment, right? Like, think about how much that paradigm has changed because he made a national championship game, obviously, in, in his second season. He's at a point now where winning the Sugar Bowl, 
feels like it's not that exciting, right? That That's a testament to where he's taking this program. And the bigger thing than all of that is that you have to identify who's going to be next if if you push Kirby Smart out the door, right? There is not an obvious guy. Kirby Smart has the Georgia ties. He's done great work here. He's made people in the state of Georgia excited about Georgia football in a way that they, I mean, you know, Mark Richt had his moments, but, but in a way that they really haven't been, uh, you know, since the 80s, basically. And so... No, no, he's not on the hot seat. Uh, there will be frustration with him. That, you know, people will be disappointed, but I'd compare it almost to a situation like, in some ways, uh, you know, maybe like a Lincoln Riley, right? Like Lincoln Riley has not won a national championship. He has not won a playoff game. But he has also elevated Oklahoma's program to a place consistently where they have not been in a couple of years, right? And so, yes, you can both say to Lincoln Riley, I want you to win a national championship, and also say, that doesn't mean that I'd rather have somebody else coaching this team. And that's still where I am with Kirby Smart. And I still think this upcoming year and the next couple of years are going to prove whether he can adjust and get over that hump. He has completely changed the face of Georgia recruiting. I mean, much of the Mark Richt era was was about how is Georgia letting these Georgia guys out the door? I've I've heard too many stories just from like the Ohio State side of things of like, how did Ohio State go in there and like get a Georgia guy? There's no way that guy should have gotten out of Georgia and heard too many stories about like Georgia taking in-state guys for granted, Georgia not connecting with the best players in that state. And that's changed. It is hard to go in and get the best Georgia guys now because they, they play for Georgia. Not every single one, but a lot more of them. I do think sometimes you can be a transitional coach and that's usually tied to if you're a great recruiter, but like your recruiting acumen in big games doesn't get you over the top. Right. And I think we see that, in various circumstances. I think Jim Harbaugh, to a much lesser degree, is is a version of that at, at Michigan, although Michigan would kill for Georgia's on-field success, right? I, I think So I do think that's possible that, that Kirby Smart gets the recruiting lined up, and then they're like, you know what? Now we just need somebody to get us over the top with X's and O's and motivation in the moment. But I think that is a long ways away, Shahan. Like, they would have to... This is another you know, five years of close calls before you would get to that because like they are right there. And again, if this playoff expands and you no longer basically have to win the SEC to get in, you can get in being the second best team in the SEC and take your shot. Nobody's going to benefit more from an expanded playoff than Georgia. And, And Kirby Smart might start winning more than one national title in that world. That's it. And the other thing, too. Oh, oh. One more thing. The other thing, too. I'm trying to drop the mic on the podcast, Shahan. And that's what Kirby Smart's future will be. (laughs) All right. Say one more smart thing. God. All right. right. The other thing, too, is that, again, your your curse as Georgia is that Alabama's over there. And guess what? Uh, Nick Saban might coach for a lot longer, but Kirby Smart is almost certainly going to outlast him. So, Yes, it doesn't feel good to be the second best program in the SEC year after year, to be a consistent top five team, but eventually you can get to the top. And and we all, I think, have to be smart, like in a world where you are battling the greatest coach of all time in your own conference, but applies to everybody. You can't only judge guys by national titles. It's like, well, how come you don't have national titles? Because Saban has all of them. What, what do you want me to do? So I I think that is something we have to all keep in mind, as difficult as that can be. 
All right, that's the press conference edition of the College Football Playoff Show. We would love for you to be a part of it. Again, if you've gotten this far, spend the buck. And it's not even a buck. It's free for two weeks to see if it's worth it. So if you've gotten this far and you're hearing it, like for the fourth time, eight, one, you, I don't need to say it. Say, try to guess it. You're listening. What's that number? I bet you I can guess it. I bet you can too. 817-442-6789. Send a text to that number. Get signed up. 14-day free trial. Buck a month after that. So you can ask questions, get our little tidbits, do surveys on the college football playoff show. Main pod this week, Georgia and the best defenses among contenders. Hope to see you there. For now, for Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice. That was the college football playoff show.